how would you define true love in a marriage? Here's our friend Roger Angolia, who works on staff here at Focus on the Family, speaking to a studio audience. Is marriage a 50-50 proposition? You give 50%, I give 50%. I see heads saying no. 75-25, 60-40. What would you say? Would you say it's 100-100? Almost every head nodded. Now let me challenge that. It's really 100% zero. Because if it's an act of your will, you choose to love somebody, it's not dependent on their response. So it really is 100% zero. I'm choosing to do this whether they respond or not. That's a beautiful definition of love, isn't it? And we're going to go explore how you can love your spouse in a way that honors God on an ongoing basis. I'm John Fuller. Welcome to Season 5 of the Loving Well Podcast. I'm joined by Greg and Aaron Smalley. Uh, They lead our marriage team here at the ministry. And uh, Aaron, let me pitch this to you. Following up on Roger's statement, what are some ways that you like to define true love in the marriage relationship? You know, I always like to go first and foremost to Scripture as far as because there's so many definitions in Scripture of what love is. Love is talked about throughout the Scriptures. And I, my favorite is First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life. So you ought to lay down your life for others, for your brothers and sisters. And you think about it, it was modeled for us. It was defined for us within Scripture. And thus we ought to take our lead hmm. from Scripture. You know, when I think about some of my just either favorite quotes or a verse, um, one of my favorite quotes actually, and we've talked about this before over the years, but from the old rock group oh, Journey. Journey. There it is. There you okay. go. Bing, bing, bing. In their song, Faithfully, <laughs> that I get the joy of rediscovering you. Yeah. And I think that's an amazing part of love and how we walk out love in a marriage is a commitment that I want to make to Aaron that that truly it's an honor, a privilege, it's a joy that I get to rediscover her. She's always changing, and I want my attitude to be, I want to stay current, I want to stay updated on how you're feeling in this season, what you want, what you desire, what are you dreaming about. And all that takes a real commitment and a mindset to go, yeah, I'm just going to keep rediscovering you throughout mm. the years. And, and that, what, what a privilege that is. Well, I appreciate that biblical lens that you're looking at the relationship through. And let's go ahead and turn a corner and uh, hear from pastor and author Gary Thomas. He has some excellent insights about how God's love compels us to love our spouse. And Gary has written a tremendous book called Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. We've got details for it in the show notes. Here now is uh, Gary Thomas talking to Jim Daly and me about marriage. You admitted that when you first got married, you did it for all the wrong reasons. I think I know what that means, but you said it was all selfish. It, It was. It was a shocking time of prayer for me. When I was just asked, I believe by God in prayer, why did you marry your wife. And there were a lot of reasons for me to marry someone like Lisa. She had so many good qualities. I loved the way she looked. I thought she would be a great mom. I liked the way her mind thought. Um, I knew she loved the Lord. And I was like, well, she's this, this, and this. You know, you should have started with that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but it hit me that in many ways, I got married to Lisa because of everything that I thought she would bring to me. I thought I would have a better life 
if I could get Lisa to marry me, or if I could get Lisa to marry me, then someone else. And while we all kind of make those decisions, it was just shocking to realize that it was selfishness that was moving me into marriage when I believe God designed marriage to pull us out of our selfishness. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty normal for most of us, though. I think that's how we start. You know, we notice somebody that we're attracted to, and then it moves from there. Yeah. You use a term in your book called spider spouses. Yes. So that sounds a little creepy. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> What's it is. a spider spouse? Think about how nefarious this is. This spider constructs this web for one purpose, to catch victims and then eat them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what and it is. And what's the analogy to marriage? I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. But, but in some ways, we construct these webs. How can I look hmm. attractive? How can I do this? How can I get you to consider this? So that then I can go and you can meet all my needs and I can feed off you. Feed off your affirmation, feed off your wealth, feed off sexual interest. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons that move people to get married. And, and that's, it's really a, a disgusting picture that to show our selfishness for what it really is. And again, if God's agenda in marriage is to pull us out of our selfishness, whatever led us into marriage, we have to realize, okay, if I want to go God's pathway into marriage, I've got to stop being a spider spouse. I've got to look at marriage from an entirely different angle, not to be a spider, but to see, be someone who blesses my yeah, spouse. And that is so good. You, you go on to say in the book about 1 Corinthians 13 that that's the marriage passage. I think many of us know that passage, but what stands out in 1 Corinthians 13 for you? Well, how so often when people come into me for counseling, they don't realize how they are directly contradicting what Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't boast, and they boast about how they're the better spouse. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrong, and the wife will say, do you realize when he was in college, he got fired from Taco Bell for this, and he got kicked <laughs> out of school for that, and he got that, okay. And if I would just read 1 Corinthians 13 right there, they go, oops, because they're, they're coming here with all the things that their spouse doesn't do, and I'm saying, well, yeah, you're, that's true, and you're not doing anything that Paul describes as love in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and that's really what we look at marriage as, is that it's not that one person is right or wrong. It's how marriage helps both of us become more right, more loving, fulfilling 1 Corinthians 13. Because I, I don't think that most of us get married with the agenda that God has. And if, if I could just add on to when I got married selfishly, the other thing I think was so wrong when I got married is I thought my greatest need was to be loved. I loved movies, I loved pop music, I loved novels, and every one of them were in agreement that that was what would be fulfilling. I had to find that love. That was my greatest need. And I believe that God would have told me, no, your need to be loved has been met perfectly in the person of mm. Jesus. No one can love you more than I've loved you. I died for your sins. I've given you my spirit who comforts you, who convicts you. If you start to do those stupid things, makes you miserable so you turn around and come back. And so if, if you were in Christ, I don't believe your greatest need is to be loved. Your greatest need is to learn how to love. Well, that's a big paradigm shift. Oh, it, it was months for me. It's like when this God dropped in, and, and I really struggled with it for months. But then I, I put in the scripture. I don't want people just to take my experience. There are so many verses that say love extravagantly. You love you ha the love you have for everyone should be increasing. Love even your enemies. There isn't a single verse that says... 
to be fulfilled, find a romantic partner who will love you like you've never been loved before. <laughs> so I think the silence of Scripture is very loud, and the overwhelming witness of Scripture is you need to learn how to love. I didn't get married for that reason, but I believe God wanted me to get married for that reason. Well, what a great conversation we had with Gary Thomas in front of an audience of several hundred people here at Focus. And Aaron, feeding off of what Gary shared, um, there are probably some people thinking, well, that phrase, completed in Christ, that sounds good, but what does that actually mean? And how does it um, push me, influence me, motivate me to treat my spouse in a different way? It's so interesting because I can remember when I actually realized what this means because it, it changed everything for me, just recognizing that we are 100% fully loved in Christ. Therefore, I don't need to go to Greg and manipulate or do anything to get him to love me because I'm already loved. Mm. Now, I like it when he does things that help me to feel loved, but it's not his job. It's God's job. And so often we look to our spouse and we want them to do certain things and we demand or manipulate or all kinds of things. We get creative as human beings. But the truth is I'm so loved. And when you just settle into that, I'm 100% loved by the creator of the universe. When I settle into that, it helps me to remember I don't need to, to manipulate, to demand. I like it when Greg shows me he loves me. And I think that's so important because instead of then spending all this time, effort, energy to get our spouse to do things so that we feel loved, it really frees us to settle in to do exactly what... Christ has commanded us to do, which is to to love others as he loved us, which he gave his life. In other words, it's all about sacrificing. You talked about that earlier. Hmm. And, and to me, sacrifice is when we give up something that we value. So we have to, it has to matter to us and we have to possess it. So I might say, well, hey, I'll, I'll give Aaron something I was going to give Goodwill, anyway. In other words, it yeah. doesn't matter to me. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. my mop. <laughs> oh, I knew the this mop was always coming. comes up. Yeah, there up. it is. Okay. <laughs> Why did I? Well, you were complete Christ, and so we don't have to, to dwell there, That's right? True. I mean, we can move on. Although I do want to call time out and correct Aaron. Now, oh my goodness, she, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> we, someday we'll have to really tell that okay. story well. But but honestly, it is sacrificing then is to give Aaron something that I value, my time, um, a resource. And, and to give that to her because I consider her so valuable. And, and I think that's the essence of sacrificing. And that's why knowing that we're completed in God frees us up to then walk out sacrifice within our marriage. Yeah, that, that's really good insight. And um, let's go ahead and um, go back to some more of that conversation that Jim Daly and I had with Gary Thomas as he continues to look at marriage through a biblical lens. You also talk about a monk's marriage. Now, I didn't know monks could be married. That's a big paradigm shift. (laughs) Yeah, that is a paradigm shift. Uh, So first of all, I need that definition. What did you mean by follow a monk's marriage? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a creative thing, but I go off Psalm 146 that says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. So let's go back 3,000 years when that psalm was written. It doesn't sound that shocking to us now because kings are sort of figureheads. Back then, kings had 
unrivaled, unquestioned authority. If they said you're poor, you're going to be poor. If they said I want your wife, they got your wife. If they said you're going to die, you died. If you go to prison, they did everything. And so when the psalmist says don't put your trust in a king that you can see, put your trust in God who you can't, it was a shocking thing because everything within you would say, I have to have favor with the king because he can determine my life on earth. And the psalmist is saying no, because in the end, he doesn't determine your destiny. You have to trust in the God who you can't see. So let's apply this to marriage. We put our hope in a spouse we can see, not in the God we can't see. How I tied it in with a monk, it may be the weird way my mind works, but you guys know I like to read the Christian classics. I would read these books of monks and nuns that had very satisfying lives because they were so in love with Jesus. And I thought, well, they're happy, but they're not having all of, they don't expect a spouse to do this or a spouse to notice this or hear this or provide this or offer that. And yet they're so happy. So what if I could have this monk's attitude that I will find my fulfillment and joy and meaning and purpose and affirmation from God. And then everything my spouse gives me is extra. It's not an expectation. It's find my satisfaction in God. And so then instead of being frustrated that I'm not getting this because I want that and that because I want that, it's like I have this from God and, and I get your smile too or your kiss too or your attaboy too. And because and, it dawned on me so often when we're dating, we have this attitude wow, you, you, you got me flowers, you got this present, you sent me a card. And then the wife says after they're married, you got me flowers again? You got me a card that you didn't even write? I mean, it, the, <laughs> the thing that delights you as a, a boyfriend or girlfriend can frustrate you as a husband or wife. It's all because of expectations. They're, you don't expect in dating that they have to do it. Now they're a spouse and you expect them to do it. So you lose the joy. So it, it's really this way of saying, how do we recapture the joy in marriage? By saying, married people should be just as dependent on God for their satisfaction, for their affirmation, for their hope, their joy, their peace. And then marriage is added on to it. Rather than try to draw the, the majority of our affirmation, satisfaction, joy, and peace from our spouse and go to church once a week and re remember that God loves us yeah, and forgives us. I think you're saying some wonderful things here. And uh, I remember being criticized by, in a book I wrote uh, <laughs> about keeping your expectations low about people. That way your disappointments are pretty rare. <laughs> and that's what I got criticized for. Daly's best advice is keep your expectations low. But you're saying the same thing I am, that in marriage put your hope in God. Yeah. Put your trust in God. Now, let me just play you know, the opposite side of this. Um, it's great, it sounds wonderful in theory to be that in love with God that all of your needs are met in your relationship with the Lord. Lisa's sitting right here. Have you been able to achieve that? <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry, Look, I, sorry. Here's what I've realized, and, and maybe this is why I write about it, because you see your own weaknesses. I often tell people my marriage books are the stories of my failures and God trying to call me out of them, to be honest. Which helps the rest of us, by the right. way. Thank yeah. you. And obviously we have the same critics, because I recognize <laughs> that voice. But I was reading the Philo Kalia. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's this... Eastern Orthodox group for like 4th to 15th centuries, the great classical writings from the Eastern Orthodox Church. I, I like to read out of the tradition, and one of the things that, that keeps coming back if you read through that, and I love it because the West, sometimes they look at things different, or the East looks at things differently than the West, this lust for praise that they insist cannot be satisfied. 
-hmm. And the lust for praise is every bit as strong as the lust for more money, materialism, the lust for um, excitement, sexual lust, gluttony. What, what they're saying is you start to give into it if you need it, it grows. It's not satisfying. It demands more and more of you until it ruins you. And I never looked at my lust to be uh, appreciated and desired and praised in that light as, as a sin and something dangerous uh, until I was reading these great church fathers that, that mentioned how it was. I mean, I, I, I was a master. This is so pathetic. But one of Lisa's Love languages would be acts of cleaning. Very much more acts specific. Acts of cleaning? Yes. I don't that find any Gary Chapman's book. language. <laughs> yes. I've, I've not come across She's that one. She's invented her own one, right? <laughs> and, and so I knew this, and so I was a master. She was off somewhere coming back from a Bible study, and she's usually at home at 8.30. At 8.27, I'm splashing some water in my face. I have a vacuum cleaner or broom in my hand or something, like I've been cleaning up the house. <laughs> Just because I, I, if I'm cleaning, I want to be noticed uh, by, by doing it. And... Um, Realizing that if I, and, and, I, and I talk in a lifelong love about um, acts of secret service, which, and, and the whole point was how many wins I get. One, I'm able to serve my wife without her knowing it. And so I look for things to do that she'll never know about. Uh, it, it purifies my heart. Secondly, I believe there are heavenly rewards when we do good works out of secret. It turns my heart to think about how do I serve her instead of how am I being noticed or served. They're like five wins when you start to say, how can I be giving? I want to be the opposite of a spider spouse. I want to give, even if it's in secret, even if I'm not noticed for giving. And, and Jim, there, there's a joy from the Lord when you're loving his daughter out of love for him in a way that only he sees. Well, I love the wisdom that Gary Thomas has and shares. He is so open about things that he's learned from his own marriage. And uh, Greg, turning to you, what are some ways that you've learned to love Aaron without expecting something back? Yeah, I love Ephesians 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I, I love that word, bearing with, because really what it means, the word bear means to either support, so kind of help, or to take away something, to remove something completely. So when I think about how to show up to love Aaron, there are times either I'm looking, how can I support and, and help her with something, or how can I remove and take away maybe a burden um, that she's experiencing? Yeah. I one time asked her, you know, what, what, what's the thing that you most hate you know, as far as a chore, something that, you know, has to happen every day within the home. And and she talked about making the bed. And and this is one of those areas we've talked about it plenty, but it's just one of those on my own, I would never make my bed. I just I love to What's slip the point. I right. Yeah. I love to slip right back into <laughs> how I Aaron's got shaking out. your head, you boys. No, <laughs> I she, have no words. <laughs> yeah, she she loves the bed made, and yeah. of course we have ninety nine pillows that have to be arranged oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a very specific. We need a bigger way. room as the totally. pillows seem yeah, to multiply. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. We had to move them by totally a new home just with you. to maintain the pillows. Yeah, but that was one of the things that she kept talking about. That oh, that would be so nice if you could uh, bear with me. In other words, if you could take that on. Mm -hmm. And it was so hard for me because it's just something I'd never want to do or ever do on my own. But I really got at the time where she had an injured foot, 
So she was in a cast, and I walked into her master bedroom, watching her hop around the to bed to make the bed. To well, make and I was it. also flinging myself onto the bed so I could reach <laughs> over and grab the other was... side of the the comforter. You just have this kind of OCD thing it about truly, the bed, right? It's a sickness. I, it just <laughs> it, to me, a house doesn't feel clean until the bed is made. T- Dina you know? totally just tracks with pull you, it together for the day. Yeah, but seeing that, I I, I said something like, okay. This is super important to you in it, making this bed. And she yeah. went, Yes, I tried I've been trying to tell you. And so that was one of those, hey, let me let me bear this burden. Let me take that. Mm-hmm. And so now it's been several years and every morning I will make that bed. Yeah. Unless she's away out of town on a trip or something. <laughs> and then you do, it doesn't matter. And so, what she doesn't know won't so hurt. So give some hope to the younger couple that is thinking, Oh yeah, I should be learning this. How how many years was it, Greg, before you got this? Told. 20-some And that's what, even as we were talking about this conversation we were going to have today, it's so interesting because I waited 20-plus years um, for a lot of these things that Greg has stepped into. And it wasn't that I minded doing a lot of the things because I really accepted that whatever is important to me doesn't have to be important to him. We are different, and that is okay. So, you know, cooking, cleaning, making the bed. That was important to me. And so I took it on. And it wasn't that I did that resentfully. I mean, there were times maybe that it rose up, but <laughs> I knew... Especially she was injured yeah. hopping around yeah. the bed. <laughs> maybe when you're Even flopping then, around the bed trying to like, make it. I was like, I got it. I can do this. So, it, But it, as Greg has stepped into some of those places in our, our family, in our home, it's really been so nice because yeah. it takes it off of me. The burden isn't there. So there is hope. Yeah. And, and what I want to just emphasize again is for younger couples, you, you're not going to get this overnight. It takes a long time to really read your spouse and to, as Gary Thomas was saying, to learn how to love them in a meaningful way so they feel loved and wives so you feel cherished, husbands so you feel respected. That that takes That's a process that takes time. Well, and it's, I was just meeting with a younger couple who just got married. I did their premarital and we were talking about this, that there are things that are going to be important to you that don't quite stand out so much to her and that is okay. But it is all about the state of your heart. When you do something like that for your spouse, is your heart opened or is it closed? And if it's closed, that's when the bitterness is going to start rising up, the resentment. And that's one option, one way to do it. But I think, the for me, the better way was to really look at where is my heart? And if it's not important to Greg, that's okay. Releasing him from yeah. having to value everything that I do. And I want to say, too, that this is this is not on my own efforts. So this this is not about This me. is back to Jesus powering through you. It, it's really, it's that Ephesians 4, verse 2 and 3, when I really saw that, what is what is bearing with my wife? What does that really mean? As I dug into that, that's where the Holy Spirit convicted me. That this is about the Holy Spirit in that verse. This has nothing to do with me. Hmm. Well, you've heard so much today about going the next step, about learning uh, how to love your spouse in a deeper way, and uh, certainly a resource we have here at the ministry is Gary Thomas's book. That's going to help so much as you. Uh, learn how to do these little things that add up over time and make for a lifetime of love. Uh, Gary's book is called Cherish, the one word that changes everything for your marriage. 
We've got it here, and uh, we're making that available today for a gift of any amount to the ministry. Help us help others and, uh, and support the ministry of Focus on the Family. The show notes have all the details. And when you're at the website, take our free marriage assessment, which covers so many different topics related to loving your spouse well and feeling loved. Uh, it'll take a few minutes. It'll be a great conversation uh, talking point for you uh, with your spouse, and it's all free. Uh, we'll link over to that marriage assessment in the notes as well. Next time, ways to improve your friendship as a couple. And for now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team, Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller, and this has been the Loving Well Podcast.